Who feels that God is up to something good? Anybody? It's a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? God is always up to something good because he's a good God. Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 4. And I want to lay the foundation for the rest of the month. Some of you will know some of this, but it's going to be a great refresher because I believe what I'm going to share today, and I don't say this in a conceited way, but the vast majority of the body of Christ really do not know what God is up to in this hour. If I was to ask you today, why hasn't Jesus come back? Most of the church have no idea. What's the delay? He's asleep. He's watching Fox News. I don't know. I don't know. He'll come when he... No, there's a, there's a definite plan. God is up to something and he's waiting for his church to realize the blueprint that he has for this hour. And God is not intimidated by the size of the, of the job ahead of us. He said to, uh, to the children of Israel, there are seven nations more mightier than you. And uh, they've got you covered in every area. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're uglier. But don't worry, I've given them into your hands. It's going to be a cinch. So thanks, Lord, for that. You've given us an impossible task that we can't do in our own strength, but it's already done. And with God, all things are possible. We look at the city, we look at our families, our suburbs, we look at the nation, government, business, every sector of society, and if we're honest, deep in, our, in many of our hearts, we think, God, how can you change? How can you bring your face to this area? Is it possible? And I know many Christians glibly say, oh, yes, of course it's possible. But when we truly look at the, the enormity of the task of bringing the face of Jesus, what does the government of God look like displayed in our government? Imagine if the face of God was being displayed in this coming election. What does it look like? And truly, it is an overwhelming task, except we have God on our side. Amen. And that is his passion that the expression of the kingdom of God shall be seen before Jesus comes back. And he's called you and I to do that. He must believe in us. Don't you think? Yes. He saves the best to last, the fastest runner to the last leg. The church that has the greatest strength, the greatest courage, the greatest perseverance, the greatest insight, he saves them for the last, and that's you. So God's got a lot invested in you. He believes in you. Come on. Did you hear that? So there must be something great about you for God to leave it to you. So if you've got Matthew 4, I'm going to lay the groundwork to what is going on, what has gone on, and what, what's about to be unlocked and what's on the heart of God. And then over the next number of weeks, we're going to talk about where the kingdom of God has actually come in history and transformed nations. Do you know what we're, what we're praying for? Has, we've seen little pockets of where God has used men and women to change nations. We saw that in the nation of India many uh, years ago where the, there was a, such a profound expression of the kingdom of God. And so we're going to look at how that outworks and what does it look like when a city or a nation experiences the kingdom of God in a profound way. So let's go. You ready? Yeah. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, 
Afterwards, he was hungry, as you would be. And the tempter came to Jesus. In verse 8, And the devil took Jesus up on an exceeding high mountain. Now this, I don't believe, is a literal mountain. I believe this is a spiritual mountain. I believe that the devil and Jesus went up into the realm of the spirit. The mountains speak about realms of influence and authority. And so they are, they are supernaturally taken into this dimension where the devil shows Jesus right from the beginning of creation right through to their present time all the realms of influence and authority that the devil had and he showed him all these kingdoms of the world and their glory now it says in Luke 4 6 to 7 you may want to flick over to that and it says because this is just another little angle of this story and the devil said to Jesus Luke 4 6 all this authority I can give to you Jesus and I can give you all their glory for this has been delivered to me and I can give it to whoever I wish. And if you will fall down and worship me, I will give it to you and it all will be yours. And the devil said to Jesus, all this authority, I can give it to you and I can give you all the glory because it's all being given to me and I can give it to whoever I wish. So if you just fall down and worship me, I'll give it to you. See, this is probably, before the cross, the most critical point in all of history up to this point. This is D-Day. Satan knows what Jesus has come for. The church teaches that Jesus came for people. It's half the story. Jesus came for that which was lost. And it wasn't just people, it was kingdoms and dominions. It was the right to influence nations. And that's what Jesus had come for. That's what the battle was all about. It wasn't just people, it was dominions and authority. It was the ability to express the face of God in all of society. And that's what Jesus wanted. And do you know what? He still hasn't changed his mind. He is absolutely committed to seeing the face of God in all of society. When God created the earth, he created the earth to be a mirror of heaven. That's really important that you understand. In Genesis 1, we see that the original plan was that, that there would be a place created in the image of heaven. So earth is an image of heaven and it would be managed by sons created in the image of God. Did you hear that? God created earth in the image of heaven. And then he created you and I to manage the earth in, as we are now in the image of God. So created sons in his image to manage the earth that is in the image of heaven. I know a lot of people say that the earth is not really important, that it's disposable. But as you read scripture, I don't believe, contrary to many opinions, that the earth is disposable, going to be burned up and chucked away. It's our inheritance. The Bible says the meek will inherit the earth. Now, I know a fire is coming, 
But I don't believe the fire is coming to destroy the earth, but it's coming to destroy completely the false system that the enemy put. The Bible says the fire will dissolve all the elements of the earth. And that word elements literally means the principles or the systems that shape the earth. God doesn't build things, then throw them away. God is not a disposable God. God doesn't just discard you and I. So what makes us think that he will discard the earth? It is created in the image of heaven. And all the structure and the system of heaven is to be seen on earth. Are you getting this? So be kind to the earth. So God creates the earth made in the image of heaven. God creates people made in the image of God. And you know the story that when, when man was created, he was deceived by the serpent. They ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And everything changed after that. Man was now free to sit in the judgment seat of God. So the moment they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, they then had the right or they then had the ability to stand behind God and judge the thoughts and the intents of the heart of God. Everything shifted then. Do you know the greatest battle that you face today is the battle that says, is God good and can he be trusted? That's the battle. That's the battle. See, when circumstances defy, they look like God is not there. The greatest battle, the greatest act of worship is despite your circumstances, is to believe that God is good and true. And that's what shifted at creation. They ate of the knowledge of the fruit of uh, say the aid of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And now they are no longer part of God's system. They are judging God's intentions and thoughts. They are no longer able to govern and rule with him. And in the garden, it says that they lost their position and they lost their authority to administer the face of God in all the seven mountains. These seven mountains or these seven areas of society exist in heaven and they are to exist on earth. You think about it, all, the, all the, the areas of economy and arts and entertainment, media, family, education, religion, all those expressions on earth are expressions in heaven. Every one of them. And they were, they were, when we pray on earth as it is in heaven, we're inviting God's kingdom, his expression, the faces of God to come to earth as it is in heaven. And that's what they lost in the garden, the ability to administer the faces of God to all mankind. So the enemy has a seven-prong attack. Uh, sorry, a seven-prong attack. He attempts to distort the faces of God in all of society. Deuteronomy 7.7, 7, God said to them, I'm going to send you to the nations, greater them and mightier than you, but I'll be in the midst of you as the mighty one. And you will dispossess them. So even back then we saw a prototype in the Old Testament that God was sending his people into nations that were mightier and greater than them. And he sends them to seven nations as a picture to us, his church, that we are sent out from here today as we leave through this, this week. We go from Monday to Saturday. He's saying to each and every one of us, I'm sending you out to the nations, to every expression of the kingdom. The greater and mighty than you, but don't worry, I'm with you and you shall overcome. Amen. So there's an amazing battle that began to take place for spiritual dominion over the earth. Psalm 24 verse 1, listen to this carefully. It says, the earth is the Lord's. 
Say it again. The earth, the earth is the Lord's. I'm glad you got that. And all of its fullness. So that tells me the earth, even though man fell at creation, you've got to get this, the earth has always belonged to God. He never gave it away. The devil doesn't own the earth. Did you hear that? He never has. Mankind, we're going to see a bit later what man actually gave over to the devil, but the devil has never, ever, ever and never will own the earth. And you and I don't own the earth either. It's the Lord's. It's his. He created it. It's his. And God created man to manage the earth. And he set up a rule right across history that says, to manage the earth, you've got to be a human. Only humans can manage the earth. The devil can't manage the earth. And God's decided that he won't manage the earth. The only people that can manage the earth is us. People. And Adam fell. And when he fell, the Bible teaches us that he gave Satan authority over all mankind. But he never gave away ownership of the earth. So when Adam fell, what he gave to the devil was ownership over the earth through mankind. So when Adam fell, he's literally inviting the enemy in to destroy and sabotage the inner workings of mankind. It's like a puppet and a string. So the devil now has control over the earth because he's got control over people that manage the earth. Are you getting that? So the people manage the earth, but the devil is controlling the people. So by default, when he says to, to Jesus, I've got control over all the, all the dominions, over all the expressions of the mountains of society, over everything that was created to bring blessing to God, I've got control over it. And the reason he had control over it is because he had control over mankind. He's pulling the strings. Are you getting that? Yeah. The devil had no direct ownership over the world, but he's got control over man who has the key to the house. So Satan is looking for people to promote to the top of the mountains to do his bidding. And so if you study, you will see in every mountain, government, economy, education, but in every one of those mountains, he sets up men and women empowers them and controls them to bring his expression, his dark expression, into that mountain. It's people, but behind the people, Satan is controlling. So he opens doors, he, he creates pathways for them to stand and minister on his behalf. They are servants that do his good pleasure, except it's bad pleasure. So a vacuum is created in every one of these mountains. And it's created for principalities and powers to materialize in them and use people to occupy the mountains. You will see that in every mountain. There is a principality and power that is possessing people and using them to materialize their ideas and thought structures in the mountains. So you look at music. Everyone, every, every single key person on the music mountain is being manipulated by the enemy to bring an agenda of darkness. I'm talking people that don't know the Lord. He's using them and manipulating them. And we think they've got there by talent. Well, there you go. 
But God had a plan. God's got a plan, church. Amen. I'll say it again. God's got a plan. Because I, I don't know about you, but when I look at the mountains and I see the enemy who has materialized on top of every mountain through people, I say to myself, God, in the natural, it just seems way too hard. And I remember many years ago praying in my, uh, I had a reading room in one of the houses we had many years ago and asking God, is it possible for you to redeem the mountains? And I had a very profound encounter. I wrote about that in my first book that you can read about. But I was left with no doubt that God's passionate desire is to take the mountains back because the earth belongs to the Lord. And God wants his expression on planet earth. And he said to us that his glory will cover the earth. Will cover the earth. His good opinions, his wives' opinions, his nature will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. I'm convinced that God wins. Is anybody else convinced? Anybody convinced here? So before Jesus came to the earth, there was no one legally allowed or able to occupy the house and carry out the will of God. There were expressions here and there, but there was no one that had the legal authority to take back what the enemy had stolen. And to move Satan out the way required a son of the father who could exercise his rights over the home and kick the devil out. One that the devil had no authority over because every other child, everyone born before Jesus, they all had the same problem. They didn't have the nature and the ability of a son. And the original son, Adam, gave away the authority to manage the earth. So another son had to come in his place and take that back. Nobody in the Old Testament had the authority and the nature of the son to expel the enemy out of the house and occupy the earth. There was not one. And right through the readings of the Old Testament, there's, the, the, there's a call for the Messiah to come, one who has the nature and the authority of the Son who is able to expel the enemy and all his works and break the control that he had over mankind. Because every single person in some degree was manipulated and controlled by the enemy. We needed somebody that was free, someone that could come as the son, who had the nature of the son and the authority of the son, and say to the devil, my father wants his house back. You see, when you don't own the house, when you come as a tenant, you have no authority. You can't kick out another bad tenant. But when you come with the nature of the Son and you know who you are and you know that this earth belongs to my Father and that what you've got, you've got by deception, that you don't actually control this earth. The devil doesn't own this earth. He has no authority over this earth. This earth belongs to my Father in heaven. And you may be manipulating people that are, that are, that are created in the image of God and there's a degree of glory in those people. But you know what, Satan? This earth belongs to my Father and he sent me on assignment to bring heaven to earth to bring a dimension of his glory and goodness to this earth and I'm saying to you get out of my mountain we're on assignment here we're on assignment here and so nobody in the Old Testament had that authority that's not what that's why not one demon was expelled in the old covenant not one not one person had the authority to expel the enemy because if they kicked him out, they'd come back seven times stronger. Because nobody had the power to occupy until Jesus came. How about that? Revelation chapter 5, 
we're going to draw this together. The Bible says that nobody was found worthy to open the scroll. What in the heck's that about, we say? Well, this is, this is exactly what I'm talking about. There was no one found worthy in the Old Testament to open the scroll and release the very mind of God for this generation. No one was found worthy. They looked through history. They looked at Moses. They looked at Abraham. They looked at David. Not one of them was worthy to open the scroll. And Re Revelation 5.4, as John saw that, he began to weep because right through the Old Testament, there was no one worthy to take on the enemy and to kick him out of the house. And so generation after generation sat under the very influence of the enemy and God's kingdom could not come. And John began to weep because of the pain that, that, was, that was over all of mankind because they were crying out for someone to deliver them and to bring back the kingdom and the expression of God. And John's weeping because he feels the pain of mankind. When will we be delivered? When will that which you created man to do come again? All that was lost in the garden, when will that be restored? This scroll that no one was worthy to open, to read, represents the title deed of the earth, that which God gave to Adam. It's the battle plan for the mature bride of Christ in partnership with the Holy Spirit to judge and to cleanse and to prepare the nations for the rule of Jesus. That's what's in the scroll. It's a battle plan. And no one was worthy to open it and to release it to the church. And here's the tragedy that many people in the body of Christ, they think the whole deal is to get born again, live a nice life, don't tell too many bad jokes, and then to get into heaven. They haven't understood that the reason Jesus took on the devil in the wilderness, died on the cross, was to release the scroll so the body of Christ would get a revelation of that which is on the heart of God. And see, here's the tragedy that we have seeker-friendly churches that just want to get people in. And it's wonderful to get people saved. But they're not equipping them for the hour and the things that are on the heart of the Father. Our Father wants you transformed and made whole. He wants to do all that. But there's something greater that's on His heart. He wants you to enlist in an army that would release the assignment of God for this hour. He's called you. No one worthy. So Jesus comes to this battleground where the devil takes him up to a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus is given three options. What's he going to do? No one worthy to open the scroll. The Father sends Jesus because he wants his kingdom to be established on earth. So Jesus, number one, could receive the kingdom's from Satan and come under his control. And that was never going to happen because Satan's a loser. And Jesus was not about to be deceived by this guy because he promises a lot and gives nothing. He promises the kingdoms then fills you with darkness. For those listening to me, the devil promises a whole lot, but he always under delivers. He's a liar and a loser. Did I say that clear? He's a liar and a loser. And when he promises you and he speaks into your mind, he promises, promises you all sorts of things. He promises that if you embrace fear, you'll be better off. 
He promises if you worry, things will change. He's a liar. Remember what I said about the devil? Everything he says, reverse, and you've got the truth. Because he's a compulsive liar. So Jesus knew about this about the devil, and so he said, no way. He had a second choice. He could take the authority of the kingdoms off the devil as the son of God. He had the authority because when he went into the wilderness, there was no sin in him. He came as the son of God and he had the right to say, I'll have that back, thank you. That doesn't belong to you. This is my father's earth. Get out of here. I have authority to do that because I'm a man and I'm the son of God. I come as a perfect, sinless Son of God, but I'm also fully human. And I have the right to say, I'll have that back, thank you. Get out of here. He had that right, but he didn't do it. Because God isn't after a home, he's after a family. God didn't just want the earth, he wants a family to populate the earth. One who can live in his home. So he had a third option, Jesus. He could go to the cross and birth a family, you and I. Aren't you glad about that? Made in his image and likeness. So Revelation 4, 5, 4 gives us insight into this. John wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll and look at it. But one of the elders said to me, don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has prevailed. Do you see that? The lion, Jesus comes and he's prevailed and he has opened the scroll and he has loosed The seven seals. Jesus prevailed at the cross and he's unlocked the seals. He's opened the scroll and now all of the church have the right to take authority over the enemy and bring the expression of the kingdom of heaven to earth. He's prevailed to open the scroll and loose the seals. And I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, that's Jesus on the cross, as though he had been slain. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Seven horns, which means he has all authority over the works of the devil. He has seven eyes, which means that he has all wisdom now to administer that authority on earth. That we have given now the mind of Christ. We have access into the very thoughts of heaven. We have both authority and wisdom to administer the kingdom. That's what he did at the cross. Amen? Amen. And he's released the seven spirits of God into all the earth. Then he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Jesus has reinstated the full face of God to society. And that's what you're commissioned to take. Amen? Verse 9, Revelation 5, you still with me? And they sang a new song saying, You're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain. And you have redeemed us to God by your blood. And out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, you have made us. Listen, you have made us kings. We have authority on earth to displace the darkness and every distortion of God in society. God has made you a king. This is what the cross is about. So at the wilderness, he defeats Satan as a man. And at the cross, he defeats Satan on behalf of all mankind. And so now that John has seen this, he said the scroll's been opened and the body of Christ have been made kings who have authority to say, Satan, get out of my father's house. Yeah. 
So you walk with authority as you go through the streets. As I walk through the city, I carry myself as a son of the living God. And I look up at those buildings and I begin to prophesy over them. And I say, you belong to my father. You got to give it back. And you can say, Andrew, it's not making any difference. I say, yes, it is, because I've been made a king. And, and, and the dominions are beginning to shift. God's beginning to work. And see, the first plan of God is to get a people that believe that he has a plan. That's the biggest, that's the biggest challenge, because most of the body of Christ up until now, but it's changing, don't believe that God's got a plan. They just believe in the rapture. They believe, get me out of here, Scotty. I, I've had it too hard. I just need a break. Just, Lord, it, it, it's dark enough. Where's the escape clause? I'm out of here. But God's not into escaping. God's into occupying. Yeah. And he's looking for a church that would first believe. And if I can do anything in this generation, one of my assignments is to look for people that believe that God's got a plan that, that's greater than just escaping. God's got a plan to rule the world because he believes he owns it. You've made us kings and priests to our God. Not only do we have authority to displace darkness, but he's given us authority to forgive sins, to call people to reconciliation. See, that's the gospel of the kingdom. It's a gospel of the faces of God touching all society and God redeeming mankind. He loves people. He wants them born again, but he also loves the earth and he wants an expression of himself in every sector of society. One's not enough. He wants both. He wants people and he wants a full expression of his kingdom on earth. Verse 12 says, sorry, verse 10, you've made us kings and priests to God, and we will reign on the earth. Did you hear that? We will reign on the earth. Say it again. And we will reign. Oh, but that's, that's the millennium. That's, no, 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 no. There's no victory in that. We will reign on the earth in the midst of darkness, coming up against the expressions of the, of the enemy. He says he's made us kings and priests to our God, and we will reign on the earth. And so in verse 12, the climax of this passage, they sing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory. And I've done a teaching on this passage, all those seven facets are exactly the seven mountains of society. They all correlate to each one of the mountains. And they sang a song that said, Jesus, you are worthy to receive all the seven mountains of society because they are the mountains that bring you glory. They reveal the faces of God to all humanity. You are worthy, Lord. Say with me, you are worthy. Matthew 28, after the cross, Jesus said, all authority and all power has been given unto me. I've got the keys. I've got the keys to the kingdom. I've bruised the enemy. I've crushed his head and I've taken the authority back over him. So a lot of Christians overestimate the ability of the devil. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. So you now go and disciple the nations. Disciple the mountains of society. We are positioned in Christ Jesus. Listen carefully. We are not positioned in the first Adam. 
The first Adam had no authority over the devil because he was possessed by the devil. He had the nature of the devil. So whenever he tried to push the devil back, the devil could always overpower him because he was, he was tormented and deceived by the devil. He was darkened by the devil. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, says of the devil, you've got nothing on me, not one skerrick. I'm pure and holy. You can't touch me. He defeated the devil in the wilderness. And when we come before the devil, we don't come in the first Adam, we come clothed in Christ Jesus. And you and I can say to the devil, I've never bowed down to you. I've never broken any promise of God. I am clean, perfect, holy in the sight of God. I am in Christ Jesus. So therefore, you have no authority over me. You can't deceive me. You can't accuse me before the Father. See, in the Old Testament, every, every single person could be accused before God. And this is where Christians don't understand. They read the book of Job where the enemy comes before uh, God, and he says, look at Job. He's accusing Job before God. In the new covenant, you are not accused before God because you are in Christ Jesus. There is no means for accusation at all upon you. The enemy has no legal right over you. Oh, I haven't finished on that yet. The God of this world has nothing on you. He cannot accuse you. In Revelation 12 verse 5, it says, uh, and they brought forth a man-child, this is Jesus, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And the child was caught up unto God and to his throne. This is Jesus ascending. Now listen to verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down. <laughs> who accused them before our God day and night. John 12, 31 said the prince of this world is cast out. Did you hear that? He was cast out and he has no authority to come before God and to accuse you. Why is that important? Because if he can accuse you legally before God, then he has jurisdiction over you. And you have no authority to say to him, get out of my father's house. And every time in the Old Testament they tried to press in and take ground, the enemy had legal authority to come before God and say, I own them, I have authority. That's why he said to Jesus, all these kingdoms I can give to you in all their glory because I control mankind. There's not one man on planet earth that can come out of my authority until Jesus came. And, he, and, and all of hell began to shake because there's a man on earth that the devil can't touch. And the Bible says that you and I are now in Christ Jesus and he can't touch you. He can't accuse you. You have authority to go into those mountains and say, be loosed in Jesus' name. And he can't touch you. He is a liar. And any teaching that would tell you that the enemy has authority over you and can accuse you and can take ground from you is a lie from the pit of hell. Because the enemy was cast out of heaven. The Bible says in John, he was ejected out of heaven. Why? Because the blood of Jesus is ever living and it's, it's applied in the throne of heaven with your name inside that. And if the devil tried to accuse you, he's got to come through the blood. And the devil hates the blood because the blood cleanses us from all sin, frees us from accusation. So you can go into those realms now knowing that you have authority as a son. And you can say, I want my house back. Get out of the house. 
You're a liar. You're an intruder. I'm evicting you. I'm serving the eviction notice. Get out, hairy legs. In your realm, in your workplace, you serve eviction. Say, the earth belongs to my papa. And he sent me to occupy till he comes. He said, take ground. Take ground. Hold ground. He's, he's looking for pe- people that are faithful, that will occupy. Hmm. As a son of the second Adam, I can say to the devil, get out. Get out. Get out of my papa's house. We are heirs of this world. And our assignment is to evict and occupy. So I want you to think about that this week. As you go into your workplaces, as you walk the streets, evict and occupy. Satan, get out of this shop. Get out. Take authority over your works that you deceive people. I want this person born again. Get out. Get your dirty hands off them. Get your hand out of the government, your expression, your twisting lies. Get out. Get out. Get out. Father, send forth your angels. Bring people. Position people in the seven mountains of society. Position people, Lord, to take authority. So God is giving the church an update on the blueprint for this hour. We're coming to the kingdom, and I'm almost done, and we're coming, the Bible says, we ask, we seek, and we knock. We ask. We get born again. Receive the amazing gift of salvation. Nothing we have to do, nothing we can contribute Except we look at Jesus and his sacrifice and we say, Jesus, come into my heart. If you're listening on live stream, YouTube, if you can hear the sound of my voice here today and you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, the Bible says, ask, ask, Jesus, come into my heart. I received what you did on my behalf on the cross. You died for my sin. You died to cleanse me. You died for me. And you've called me to be a son. I receive your work on my behalf. It's a work of grace. And our job is by faith. We receive all that Jesus did. It's so easy, isn't it? Ask. Say with me, ask. Then we seek. The Bible says we ask and we seek. And now, now God takes new babies who have asked. And he says, come on. It's time to, to leave that place and begin to press in a little bit more. Is anyone here today that wants to press in a little bit more? Yes. Anyone? Yes. The eyes of Andrew roam to and throw throughout all the church, looking for those that would raise their hands so God could show his power. Anybody want to press in a little bit more? This is not a trick question. You want to be put on the roster if you put your hand up. Yes, I want to press in. We seek. You see, the closer we get to a breakthrough, the more intense the dialogue becomes over our, our identity. The closer we get to breakthrough in our realms and our assignment, the greater the, greater the dialogue becomes over our identity. The, the enemy begins to question us. Who do you think you are? I know what Andrew has told you today, but who do you think you are to go and make a difference? He questions our identity. If you are the son of God. So this is a stage where we begin to seek him and get a revelation of who he is to us. The face of God 
is in all of society, but the face of God is a loving Father. And as we look at Him and see how He looks when He looks at us, we discover who I am. We are. There is no identity discovered without looking into the face of God. Every other identity is false. It's untrue. You're looking in a mirror of distortions. And we carry this identity of shame and guilt and all this garbage. And God says, come to me. Seek me and you'll find me. Call to me. Seek me. Who am I? What were you thinking when you created? What's my identity? What's my assignment? Father, you tell me who I am. God then begins to take us to new levels of anointing so we're equipped for the assignment that's on our life. And a lot of the things that are going on in your life is our Father in heaven preparing us, shaping us through the circumstances. He's shaping our identity so we're strong and able to go up the mountain of the Lord. You hearing this? You're in a battle today with the spirit that you're called to dispossess. That's what you're on. God's preparing you and shaping you and forming you, getting you ready. And all, all the uncomfortable stuff and the prodding and the poking and the, oh, this is all about God preparing you and shaping you because you are designed to go up that hill and you are going to take out that spirit in Jesus' name. And you've been thinking, God, why is it taking so long? Because there's a big enemy to dispossess. And God's not sending you up the mountain until you're equipped and ready to go. God doesn't want anyone to be taken out. We can't have any hooks in us as we go up the hill. Because whatever we bow to on the way up will have control over you when you get to the top of the mountain. So God's freeing us from all the hooks, all the things that the enemy can use. He knows the buttons to press. And so he's freeing us from all the clamor and the worry and the anxiety and the fret. And the enemy knows that if he just presses a couple of little buttons, that, that will freak out. Like It'll take us out for weeks of depression and anxiety and worry and confusion and anger. And God's saying, no, you seek me and you get my identity. See, that's what, that's what happened to the Son of God as he's baptized. Father's affirming his identity. You're the Son of God. I'm well pleased with you. You, you have authority. Everyone, you have the right to be heard in all of seven mountains. So God is instilling into Jesus identity and purpose and assignment. And then he goes to the enemy and takes him out. God's preparing his people. This is part of the blueprint. What's God doing in the church? He's saving people, but he's restoring our identity. But don't just stop there. Don't just think that the goal of God is to get whole Christians to heaven. Because, you know, in heaven, he doesn't want grumpy people. So he says, you know what? I, I need to sort them out before they get here. Which has got some merit. But no, that's not what it's about. God's preparing people to be the full expression of his face all over the earth. So we ask, we seek, and we knock. Say knock. There's a thing called favor backlash. When you've got favor to take a mountain, every single person has favor on them for a mountain. That's the way God designed it. And the backlash, as you discover your assignment, precedes God judging what is aligned against him in that mountain. Did you hear that? The backlash 
that comes against you is preceding God judging the spirit that's coming against you in that mountain. Everything that's aligned against God. So there's a backlash. We see that with Moses. When he comes against Pharaoh, there's a backlash. He makes the people work harder. When In Acts chapter 16, when Paul the Apostle's taking ground, there's backlash and they end up in prison. It's called favour backlash. And as we begin to knock, we begin to get resistance. And it feels like we're taking one step forward and ten steps back. Has anyone ever done that? Favour backlash. Say with me, favour backlash. And here's the thing. If I cave into the backlash, the enemy will remain in the position and have authority in that mountain. And I say to the body of Christ, this is not an hour to cave into backlash. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. We have perseverance in our DNA. I told you before, the enemy hasn't got perseverance as a character quality. When they did the Maya Briggs assessment on him, he came really low in the ability to outlast. But the body of Christ has this ability to come against backlash and persevere. So in the midst of backlash, Paul and Silas... I don't know about God, this whole serving God. You know, he told us that we'd be fruitful and multiplying. You know, I don't know. Maybe I should become a carpenter. No. They began to worship and praise in the middle of the backlash because they knew what was coming against them was the very spirit that they were called to cast out. Amen. It was a cricket clap, but it was good. The backlash sets up the structure for God to judge the enemy. Listen again. The backlash that you get sets up the structure in the heavenlies for God to judge the enemy. And so when the backlash came against Moses, God said, thank you very much. I'll take out one of your gods and I'll take out that one and I'll take out that one and I'll take out... That one. And every time you come against my people, I'm going to take you out. That's what it's about. Every time there's backlash and you hold your nerve and you begin to worship, I can prove it. Moses, Paul and Silas, they stood against the backlash and they began to worship and that gave God the authority to come through their faith and take out the enemy. So we begin to wrestle. We ask we get born again. We come into the kingdom. We seek. We find out God's purpose and plan. God, what have you called me to do? Well, he's not called me. My friend, he's called you to do something. Well, I can't get out of my chair. Well, then pray for the mountains. God, what person in the mountain do you want me to pray for? God will quicken your business. All right, I'm going to begin to pray. Who do you want me to pray for? James Packer. All right, James Packer. I speak life to you. I break the power of the enemy that will torment your mind. I break every spirit of darkness. I break the power of mammon over your life. And I call you into the kingdom. My father loves you with an everlasting love. He's called. He says, I want to be your father. I love you and I'll never forsake you. James, I prophesy of you that you're a son of the most high God. And God's going to use you as a powerful prophet to the business realm. In Jesus' name, come into the kingdom, James Packer. Wow. 
Then I can't do much. Oh, you can. Our prayers are prayerful. The prayers of a righteous man avails much. The, pro- the prophet was a man with a nature like ours, Elijah, wasn't it? And he, and he prayed and he shut up the, the windows of heaven. It didn't rain and then he prayed and it came out. He had authority to shift the culture and the climate and the atmosphere. You sitting on your chair, you may not be able to move, but you begin to declare the word of the Lord. You begin to believe that my father has a blueprint and a passionate desire. And Lord, if you can't, if those people in the mountains won't change, move them out and bring up a new breed that are full of the wisdom of God. Amen. You begin to wrestle for assignment. There's contention in the heat of the battle. And that's why it's so important to realize that God's delays are not his denials. God is at work. And that's why in, the, in that realm we, we get our whole hearts healed. And we know our father is a good father, that he'll never leave you. Remember back in the garden, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they began to judge God. You're not a good father. Why? Because circumstances weren't aligning with what they thought God should be. But we know different because we've eaten of the tree of life. We know our father is always good. And our faith in his goodness will shift the circumstances so they mirror the goodness of God. So we wrestle and we contend for that which needs to be contend. We go from personal breakthrough to corporate breakthrough. We go for, oh, I don't know if this church is really for me. Oh, why doesn't God bless me? We go from that mindset to a corporate mindset. So we, we are aware of other people. We're aware of the body of Christ and where it's at. We're aware of the city. We take on the apostolic mindset that, Father, you are the builder of this city and I'm part of it. We ask, we seek, we knock. The seven mountains are not something that man made up. They are the function of the kingdom of God in heaven. God's government in heaven. God's got an economy in heaven. God's got continuous education in heaven. God's got family in heaven. Every one of these mountains, there is an expression of that and will be for eternity in heaven. And God's passion is that earth would be the mirror of heaven. And my personal belief is that the earth will never be destroyed. It will be updated and and recreated the systems. But before Jesus comes, there will be a dynamic expression of the kingdom in the midst of adversity. Against the enemy. It will be part of the judgment of God against the enemy. There will be backlash and then God will move and take the enemy out because God's people have got a revelation of what it means to be part of the kingdom. We're going to talk about the seven mountains and unpack it in a whole profound way over the next few weeks. But I wanted to start by laying the groundwork that this is the heart of God for his church. And he's looking for people that would enlist in the army. I'll finish with this. Paul says to Timothy, three things I want you to know. You are a soldier that's been enlisted in the army. Do not get entangled with the affairs of the world. We get born again. We come out of the kingdom of darkness to light. He says then an athlete needs to compete according to the rules of the game. 
What are the rules? See, if you don't know the purpose and plan of God to take the mountains, you're running the wrong race. You're running the race of rapture. But the race for the church is the full expression of the face of God to all society. If you run that race, you get a prize. And Paul says to Timothy, the hardworking farmer will be the first to eat of the produce. There's a reward to the body of Christ as we jump into the assignment that the Father has. He wants to share with us the rewards of the kingdom. So I don't know about you, but I'm saying, God, count me in. Count me in. I sent you blueprint and I say yes and amen. Count me in, Lord. This week as I go to the streets, the shopping centers, to my workplace, wherever I find myself, I'm going to be conscious of your heart to expel and to occupy. Lord, release to me the full understanding of your blueprint for the nations. Thank you, Father, that the Son has the right to open the scroll and to release to the body of Christ in this hour the full breadth of the kingdom. So I release over every hungry heart. You may want to lift your hands. I release over every hungry heart the contents of the scroll. Blueprints for kingdom success in the areas that God has called you. As you sleep at night, dreams and visions. As you read the word, profound understandings. It all begin to come together like a jigsaw. I release to you your assignment. Father, show them to the nations that I will travel to, the, the cities that they will call to transform. Give them ideas and creative solutions. I release the Spirit of God now, the seven spirits of God to come and and capture your attention and your heart, your mind. You've been sidetracked by so many issues and God's going to make the main thing the main thing in your life. So Father, release to them the spirit of wisdom and understanding. I release boldness and authority over you today to crush the works of the enemy. No longer shall you be intimidated by the enemy's plans. I release the gift of faith that moves mountains, that shifts mountains, that establishes the kingdom in Jesus' name. Be encouraged today. God has called you. God has equipped you. God has empowered you. You have lasting endurance. You thought there was all too much that you have to give up. But God is saying, I'm going to breathe into you afresh the ability to endure even when there are contradictions, to scale those contradictions and to move into the fullness of what God has called you to do. Those listening on live stream today and YouTube, I release that same spirit. Those are hearing my voice, be filled today with expectation for your God is at work in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,